Hi, Andres. Thanks so much for joining. It is a treat to talk to you. Uh, it's Monday. The world's still falling apart, uh, but it looks like we're all hanging in there. Um, I'd love to start with, uh, for those of us who don't know you very well, uh, talk to us a little bit about the industry that you're in and some of the challenges that you're seeing that are relevant to folks that may not be in the industry. Okay, thank you for having me. So um, in 2019, I started a fintech lender and we provide debt facilities to companies that are furthering social impact. And we define social impact as any one of the United Nations 17 development, um, 17 sustainable development goals. But at the end of the day, we are a lender and we are assessing risk across our portfolio. So because of what's going on, obviously risk has been heightened and some of our clients are suffering the negative effects of the slowdown. So we're currently restructuring loans, giving grace periods on loans. And at the same time, we're talking to our own investors. You know, obviously, folks that provide either equity or debt capital for us to fund our operations and our lending are likewise worried. So we have to be in close contact with them, let them know what we're doing with our capital, what our runway looks like, and give them a sense of comfort that we are doing the right thing in light of everything that is going on. Um, so our industry is an industry that financial industry goes ups and downs with economic cycles, with credit cycles. And we have such an abrupt slowdown in everything because of, of what's going on. Um, we feel the brunt of it. So we're just trying to get by, trying to keep enough capital on hand to extend our runway as long as possible, trying to make sure that our clients are doing the same so we can all get out of this and after this is behind us, prosper as much as we can. Thank you. Um, what is something that most of us wouldn't know about um, FinTech or lending or the development goals? You know, pick, pick any one of those three things. They're all interesting. Uh, what's something that most people don't know about that you find really interesting? Um, I mean, generally, I like finance and financial analysis interesting. I think I think folks would know it. They just probably wouldn't understand the extent of how important it is. Um, and for me, even though we're just a lender, um, stated plainly, um, the story that we tell behind why we do the lending that we do, who it helps, um, and what we're trying to accomplish through that lending has a very important role in how we define ourselves as a company. Uh, we do lending to entrepreneurs that are looking to better their communities. And we have to really coalesce around a sense of mission and a sense of purpose in that. Or at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of numbers where we're trying to find out operating margins, where we're trying to find out repayment capacity, where we're trying to look at qualitative measures on willingness to repay. And it just becomes a real exercise 
and financial analysis and somewhat behavioral analysis. But really the story that we tell around what we do um, brings us together as a company and it provides a sense of mission to everybody, uh, me included. Uh, I left a lot of things behind. I left a, a career where I did very well and I had an upside to the career. Um, I left that behind because I was very passionate about this. I'm very passionate about helping entrepreneurs that first want to help themselves and then want to help their communities. So I think telling those larger stories, thinking about your sense of mission, the value proposition that you provide to your clients, your investors, and any partners is extremely important. And I think, to cheat a little bit in your question, I think folks would know that, um, but they don't I think they would miss how vitally important it is to that before you get into kind of the day-to-day operation and strategic grind um, because it does provide a rallying point for everybody in the company. You know, we're a small company, but those rallying points are, are very important as so they can sustain us and give us the energy that we need to get a young company off the ground. Yeah, I can imagine um, being a young company anywhere is hard, and during these times, uh, were it not for a mission, it, it's really it's really hard to find a compelling reason to work 100 hours a week um, to to make sure that you know, things are things are working at the at the rate you need them to. Um, I, I know that you had a really successful law practice. Uh, before you pivoted, um, was there a moment where it became like that? That sort of crystallized the the need to to change. Uh, as you look back, was there one moment where you look back and said that that's why I switched? I could pick a moment, and it would be one of several moments that made me question. Um, what I was doing, but I don't think it's particular to the um, my career I, I, or the firm that I was at. So I was at a law firm for a number of years. So it wasn't my own practice. Um, I was an associate when I came out of law school and went to a firm that I worked on phenomenal cases, really uh, interesting cases, high-level cases, and it gave me probably the best training I've ever I've received in my life. It allowed me to really understand how to be a concise and succinct thinker and the importance of being able to distill complex issues into bite-sized nuggets. So I'm extremely grateful for that experience and for the law firm that employed me. But I do recall... Um, some cases that they took on that I, I probably would not have taken on if it was my own law firm. And one of them was a case where we were defending a company that is somewhat infamous for overcharging people in prison for making calls back home. And I understand that companies and companies that we may find are doing something that are is personally distaste, distaste, distasteful to us. 
still need legal representation and they need good legal representation. Um, but seeing that company come across my screen, um, especially because I had been personally impacted by incarceration and I have many people in my community and around me have been impacted by it. And one of the things that I thought was fundamentally um, predatory was the way certain phone companies would charge obscene amounts um, to people in prison just to call their loved ones. And it's one of the things that I, when it came across my screen, that said, I want to be more in charge of who I work with and how I work with them. Um, and it always, uh, and, and, and that would be a point that I reflect on often um, for doing my own thing. Although I don't want to overstress it either because I always had an entrepreneurial bent and I thought that I would eventually end up doing my own thing. That's that's really fascinating. Um, as you look back on your career, do you, do you look back at something that you would think of as your best mistake? Um, when when I was transitioning from the law firm, um, and I don't know if if it's if it's a mistake, it's a little bit serendipity. Um, as I was transitioning, thinking about what to do, kind of ran into these entrepreneurs that were starting a company from scratch, and they, you know, when you're starting a company from scratch, sometimes you see them rushing through a lot of things, and sometimes um, it's a little bit helter skelterish, and I and. I hesitated in joining them because I knew it was going to be kind of a rough ride, um, but I decided to give it a shot anyway, and it was a great experience. I I really learned a lot about myself, and we grew a small company from about five, six people to about 70, 80 people, um, learned about what I'm good at, what I'm not particularly good at, um, some ways I'm able to motivate people some ways where I'm actually counterproductive to a team. Um, and it made me, I think, a much better entrepreneur today. So I wasn't particularly looking for that opportunity. It fell into my lap and it was a really great opportunity to test myself in leadership positions. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Hmm. As you... Um, in day-to-day -day life, do you have a favorite quote that comes up often um, or guiding principles that you try to keep at the, the front of your mind? Yeah, so I have a number of them. Um, and I'm, I'm a quote fanatic. I, I read a lot. Um, there's words to me are great motivators. They're great inspiration but if i had to pick one maybe um i'll pick one that is my mother quoting somebody else and i think it's a gandhi quote um but it talks about that our rewards are not in the end result our reward is really embedded in the effort that we give on a daily basis and it's a complete effort is a 
total success. I actually could pull it up. It's it's in it's kind of at the top of my my email somewhere. Um, Oh, so I have it in Spanish, and it was from something that she would tell me. And I'll say it in Spanish first, and I'll do the translation. And I know she's quoting um, Gandhi. It's, she would say, Hijo, nuestra recompensa se encuentra en el esfuerzo y no en el resultado. Un esfuerzo total es una victoria completa. And she would just say, you know, because we had ups and downs in life, she would say, son, our reward is is found in how much effort we we." how much effort we give to something, not in its result. A complete, a total effort is a complete victory. And I like, I like that quote because when I, when I'm, when I'm really, when a challenge is overwhelming me or when something is becoming too much for me um, in any area of life, I sort of just laser like focus and say, I just got to give it my all to this one task I'm doing at the moment. All that matters is this one task right now. Whatever happens at the end of this, whether it's successful or not, that's irrelevant. The only thing that's going to be relevant is if every task that became before me, I just gave it my all. And for the most part, uh, things start falling into place when that happens. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking, uh, you pulled up a quote. But what's your? Do you do you have a system of um, collecting, referring back to quotes? It seems like something that you might do. Yeah. So I I have a tab in my emails, a label and uh, email where it's quotes. Let me see if I can find it right now. That now I'm not in. Yeah, quotes. Mm -hmm. That's that's really interesting. Okay. Also, now I'm pulling up a whole bunch one. So I have a quote that I was recently really loved from Paul Soros, who's George Soros's brother, and he was a gentleman who provided scholarships to immigrant graduate scholarships to immigrant students. And I was lucky enough to to be um, one of the um, the scholarship recipients. Um, let me pull up this quote, and he talks about. Uh, Paul Soros talks about surviving, um, you know, Nazi Europe coming to the United States with no money and having to build a life out of scratch. Uh, but he says, I was lucky enough to survive. I was lucky enough to survive Europe. The rest was relatively easy. And I love that quote when he says, I was lucky to survive. The rest was relatively easy. Because um, it really is empowering. Like success, happiness is such a relative thing. Um and when you really count the blessings that we have to get through our our, our struggles, um, the the current struggle before us becomes less daunting. Um, sometimes because uh, I, I always think a lot about the things that we have in life and we'll, whether we actually deserve them or not. And this is like a weird thing I think about because um, I see the dividing line between the have and have not sometimes to be so tenuous um, at any moment, you know, 
any of us to find ourselves on the wrong end of that line. And a lot of us now in these circles that we run, these professional circles that have accumulated um, some success in its trappings, sometimes I wonder, do we deserve those things? And, you know, there's a quote that I just pulled up from um, David Carr in X. Um, um, he was a journalist for New York Times, has also written some books. Phenomenally interesting person, had been in, um, um, as a younger man, had um, drug addiction problems. I think he might have even thought about a, or even attempted to commit suicide or, and later on became this great success. And one of his quotes is, I now inhabit a life I don't deserve. And and this thing about deserving is really interesting to me, especially uh, for people um, like myself that has traversed um, many aspects of life from poverty, from violence, uh, my you know myself in prison, and then we inhabit these other places of great privilege, and sometimes it's a little. Um, it throws you a little bit off balance and you start thinking about um, what my place is in all this. Do I deserve this? How come other people didn't make it? Um, and, and thoughts of the kind. And another great quote, and I'll end with this because it's getting a little too long winded was one where um, the Dean of Yale law school, when I was there said, and he mentioned, getting a Supreme Court clerkship and calling his father and asking him, Pops, do I deserve this? Here I am about to go clerk on the U.S. Supreme Court and inhabit a great place of power. And his father responded and said, of course you don't deserve it. You absolutely do not deserve it. But it is what you do with the things that you don't deserve that will determine if you deserve them in the first place. And I really, really love that quote because it really places you in the context. It, 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 places, it allows you to be in that place that you think you may not deserve. But it's a call to action to do something with everything that is around you so you can later on possibly deserve that thing in the first place, yeah. if this makes sense. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing those. That's that's quite remarkable. Um, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit, and um, for people, uh, I, I imagine your group probably has some sense of this, but for the rest of us, um, what's an unusual habit or something that others might think of as absurd um, that you have that you love? Um, I really don't know. Um, I, I really don't do that much unusual things. Don't have that many unusual habits. Um, I think people in the group know I, you know, I just, I'm a, I, I'm always reading, not stop and not, you know, not business books, not things like that. Um, a lot of fiction. Um, right now I'm reading the Hillary Mantel trilogies. I'm uh, Thomas Cromwell. Do you, you know, mm -hmm. you know, those, um, bring up the bodies, Wolf Hall and the, huh. the mirror and the okay. light. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just love great fiction writers, great dialogue writers. Um, to me, Hilary Mantel is an absolute genius. Um, she is probably the best contemporary writer there is. Um, I, I just thoroughly enjoy her. So I'm just, I'm a voracious reader. That's awesome. Um, I, I'll put that in the, I'll put the, the titles in the show notes in case people want to look up the books as well. Um, when, when, mm-hmm. when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, uh, what recenters you? Meditation. Um, I, I meditate a fair amount, um, journal writing, um, and then I have a terrific, terrific wife who is um, more driven, uh, more talented, has a lot more pressures on her, and handles everything with such calm, peace, and grace that she provides a great role model for me to kind of think about everything that I'm going to and aspire to handle it the way she handles the many things that she does. That's lovely. Um, I think that might be the first, uh, the first spouse reference I've, I've had so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what, one question that I, that I love to ask folks is, um, you know, we've done a lot in the last couple of years. Um, what's what's one thing that you've picked up or um, that or dropped um, that has really improved your life? One thing that or, I picked up or what that or dropped that has improved my years. life. I've become I've become a lot more patient um, listener, um, a lot less hurried. Um, I think in for a large part of my the initial of my professional career, I was in a hurry to get to some place and really wanted to get there. Um, extremely fast and if I and if I when I discuss things with folks and if I, I felt that um, their opinions or their input wasn't getting me there I was very quick to write it off um, I still have a little bit of that but I've become more patient into and in allowing myself to learn from folks uh, because there is a lot of um, knowledge, treasure, and experience that I have missed because of that impatience. And I've been trying to um, be better at that, be a much better listener and a, and a much better learning learner. Was there something in particular that triggered that or like a particular experience or it's just sort of a process of getting older and wiser and meditating and journaling? Um, I can't pinpoint exactly, but I, was, I think some of it has been 
meditation journal, but also um, making uh, a fair amount of mistakes because you become um, too myopic or too confident in your own judgment. Uh, as you as you think about um, you talked a little bit about the books that you're reading and um, um, and you do read read so much um, what are you most looking forward to reading in the next few weeks or months so I'm getting through the Hillary Mantel book the the last one the mirror is called the mirror and the light um, then I have on my to kind of to relist. I have educated. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was sent by a friend. Uh, I gave I gave a presentation not too long ago um, to a group, and one of my friends from Brown were, was there, and he sent me the book. He said that some of the things that I was speaking about really made him think about this book that he read and he sent it to me um, to read. So that'll be uh, on my to-do. And I have uh, a couple of of other ones, um, but I have to go get the list. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that your friend sending you the book. I've I've always wondered, um, I like to share books sometimes, uh, but I also wonder if, you know, sharing a book or sending someone a book is is less of a gift than a tax because suddenly you're expecting them to <laughs> spend a lot of time uh, and someone's hourly wages are a lot more than the cost of a book. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think it's a it's a good thing. I um I I've given books um and and. I think it's a it's a it's a fine yeah. gift. We've been jamming for a while, and um, got one last question for you. Um, as you think about everything that's going on, you know, we started with the extra stress on the system right now, with um, everything that's going on in in the markets, in the economy. If you were to sidestep that. Um, and think about the future in the short term, so let's say three to five years. Um, what makes you most hopeful for that? Most hopeful for kind of just uh, the future of kind of our communities, the world, or... Uh, right. um, I... I work a fair amount um, with entrepreneurs, people that are risking a lot of things on a dream. And that dream could be as small as a corner store doing something to starting the next billion dollar startup. Um, So I'm always engaged with people that think that they can fundamentally transform their lives and maybe the lives of those around them through their entrepreneurial endeavors. And I love that energy. Like I love 
working with people like that. Um, so I'm always, that always gives me a lot of hope. And one of the, the I think the reasons why um, I've chosen to do this work is because of that, because um, there, I guess, so much um, inspiration from folks laying it all, all on their line for their own aspirations. Um, and hearing folks talk about how they are going to do what they want to do and what their plans for, for it are, are extremely um, uh, extremely fulfilling and, it, and that makes me hopeful. On that note, thank you. Thank you. And I can't wait to hear the, the finished product. I know we'll probably be learning a lot about our classmates. Yes, it's, uh, yes, it'll be a lot of fun.